Welcome to episode 55 of the Digital Fabrication Experiment podcast. I'm Winston Moy, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Chris Lee and, well, just Chris Lee today. At least one of us is a hobby machinist, and we'd like to bring you into our conversations about life in the shop and topics in making. Chris, how are you doing today? Uh, doing good, man. Been busy, but uh, doing well. Having a lot of fun. Yeah, I can only imagine. And uh, today, since Eddie was too cool to join us, uh, we've brought in someone better, and that's our <laughs> recurring guest now, I guess. Sammy, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's always great having you on. Chris, I know you've been super busy. Um, do you have any fresh updates you want to drop on us? Um, I'm always curious about whether or not you've reached that burning out threshold yet. Um, I can tell you, uh, I'm definitely feel like I'm approaching that point. Um, I knew from the beginning, like, you know, doing 70 plus hours a week is not going to be sustainable in the long run. So I told you, like, uh, last podcast, I think we talked about the things that I tried, right? So, like, the, the dieting, the intermittent fasting to give me more energy. Uh, I'm, I try to get an emphasis of trying to get at least six hours of sleep a day, and that helps a lot because I was doing four and that was a little hard. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. And then because um, I, I don't drink coffee either, so it's kind of I have to do it, you know either with tea or naturally. Um, the other thing that I've come to terms with is like, as much as I love CNC and machining and CAD and all that, it, it can't be the only thing that I do every day because that's is what's making me approach this burnout point is that my work is 10 hours of me critically thinking in CAD and CAM, you know, for the lathe, uh, for the five axis, for the, for the water jet. And then when I get off from work and I drive to the shop for the UMC, I'm critically thinking again for that. And I, I definitely notice a drop off in efficiency, like by the time it rolls around 6 or 7 p.m. So I've been trying to intertwine, like when I get home, uh, you know, I used to play music, like I play guitar and piano and stuff. So I throw in about like an hour of that every day, um, a little bit of like, you know, video messing around editing. I just try to like change it up to change the parts of my brain that are like constantly at 110%. And it's been helping me kind of decompress a little bit. Um, there are some days at work where it's like, I'm really tired. Uh, I've, I've solve the really hard problem like on the do sunlight or something and then like by the time i get home i'm just like kind of tired so when those days happen uh, at the umc shop i kind of make sure that i give them things to run and then they don't really need me there as much and then i'll spend maybe two to three hours just kind of decompressing doing something else you know like i said whether that's playing music or or you know whatever writing a song or writing something or do, doing anything else that's separate from the the, the cad cnc world and that's been keeping me afloat so far. So by just basically just balancing life, like, you know, you can't have only one thing all the time. Eventually something's going to push you to the point where like, okay, you're not gonna be able to go through. So Can um, I ask you something about that? Yeah. Do you uh do you have CNC dreams? <laughs> No, I don't actually. Um, I typically don't dream. And if I do, it's very a strange occurrence for me. Uh, usually by the time my, my eyes hit the bed, I'm passed out. Yeah. And the next thing I know, it's like 3.30 in the morning. It's time for me to yeah. get up again. Yeah, I definitely find that it's the thing I'm thinking about when I'm laying in bed trying to fall asleep. It's like, of course, my brain wants to solve some sort of problem on how to model something in Fusion or... Uh, and then whenever I was training CNC technicians at the fab shop, 
you know, a couple months in, they'll tell me like, I just had a CNC, my first CNC dream, you know, or usually a nightmare, you know, when it gets crashes or something. But I, I found that was a very important, uh, you know, the thing to be welcomed into the maker world. CNC. <laughs> no, I haven't had a dream yet. I think I've dreamed of like a thing I wanted to make, but I've never dreamed of like machining or program or, or like CAD or fusion or anything like that. Not, not, not yet at least. But, um, but yeah, so I don't know. I, I'm definitely like, I'm feeling, and part of that's probably my age, you know, I'm, I'm mid thirties now. So like, I'm not as young as I used to be. And I think dealing with that as well, the physicality of everything, um, being able to balance like what I'm mentally feeling versus what I'm physically feeling has been also different. And, you know, I'm not, I can't do like the 20 hour days and stuff anymore. So um, I think a combination of all these things together, uh, learning to balance life a little bit better and then being extremely conscious of that, you know, time is very important and, and I need to be extremely efficient about everything. So the way that I program now, I try to be extremely efficient with the templates and the, and the pre determined like uh, adaptive toolbox or whatever. So the least, amount of time I have to spend doing one thing so I can move on to the next is what I strive for right now. And that helps well, a lot. Uh, I'm glad to hear you've got some coping mechanisms because honestly, I was a little worried about you coming off the last episode. <laughs> and uh, we usually don't, uh, I guess, like you and Eddie are just super busy. Like Eddie, like will pop in occasionally in our, our Discord chat and be like, hey, check out this shiny thing I machined. So I feel like I don't get a, a good read of uh, how you're hanging in there, but I'm glad it sounds like you're you're trying to make it semi-sustainable. Yeah, um, and part of the reason is because we're we're doing a lot of the same thing on the UMC right now. We're just making a bunch of different wheels, and I figured it's kind of boring, and I don't want to just keep posting the same kind of you know stuff. It, it, they're just different looking wheels, pretty much right now. Um, and then the the thing that I would love to show, but I can't, is we're redesigning an intake for a motorcycle, which is like a full simultaneous five-axis endeavor. But we don't want to show that yet, not until we're we basically have that product patented and ready to sell, you know, so to speak. So because um, there's competition out there. And if we were just to kind of leak it out that way, it'd be a problem for us. So um, the boring stuff I figure I can't sell. And then I'm still working on that big project for October. And that's still coming down, that big piece of stock that I bought. So I think I figured out a majority of how I'm going to do that. And I've been trying to chip at that a little bit getting the like lift that we're going to have to lift that, you know, 150 pound piece of aluminum inside the machine to get started. So just, you know, little, little things. I try to achieve small goals every day uh, so that I don't overwhelm myself and kind of just move along. So I don't feel like overwhelmed or anything. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, should be, should be a lot of fun to see that stock loaded into the machine. Have you been taking like just videos of that intake, even though you're not ready to show it, have you been like just banking up like little tidbits of uh, machining that you can show when the time is right? Yeah, I've been I've been banking all that stuff, and so I'll, okay. if um yeah if they agree to it as well, then I'll, I'll be able to share a lot of that stuff later. Excellent. Yeah. So what well, about you, Sammy? Yeah. Yeah, What's I guess new? I'm trying to remember the last time. I was on the podcast, I think it was a little bit before March or something, but, you know, Winston gave me such a hard time about not having a machine at the <laughs> house. I clearly didn't have enough CNC machine, Avid CNC machines here. So uh, I now have uh, the Avid CNC Benchtop Pro. It's a the two by two uh, work area. 
And that's been awesome to have just because I can just wheel my chair around 180 and just immediately set up parts and um, still working on getting dust collection set up over here. But it's been super handy to have uh, something to just iterate on and kind of work out some ideas. Um, also uh, kind of worked out a way to go back and work at the shop because I do have a shared studio with some other um, local makers. Um, so I've been, yeah, cranking out lots of projects and trying to find that balance between uh, making content uh, for Avid CNC, which has been, I think, really fun lately because we've been doing uh, weekly live streams and I kind of try to mix up the type of content that's there. Doing some uh, collaborative outreach projects I'm working with Shar Miller King from the Wooden Maven and also Alma from Pink Soul Studios. And we've been working on some awesome CNC collaborative projects. Um, I'm stoked about. And then also personal projects too, which kind of burning the midnight oil, working on uh, some remodel stuff here at the house. Yeah, I saw pictures of the things that you made and those, it looks excellent. Like the execution <laughs> is just perfect. Like it looks so cool. Did, can you want to talk about some of those things that you did? Because yeah. Yeah. Sure. It's mm -hmm. um, it so to kind of describe it for those who haven't seen that, it's a one bedroom apartment that uh, we're remodeling, and it's um, you know, of course, whenever you're doing a project like that, you're just like, oh, I might as well since I'm ripping up the tile in the bathroom, I have to worry about the transition from the tile to in the bathroom to the bedroom, so I might as well rip up the carpet and, and install hardwood or. Uh, this closet's too small, so I should just rip that out and reframe it and, um, you know, re-drywall a new uh, structure. But I did model the whole thing in Fusion. Um, the different elements, such as, like, the vanity and the banister, um, and then the whole interior of the space, because we moved walls around and reconfigured everything. Um, and it was super helpful for doing things like calculating the square footage of tile. I didn't have to go back in and on a napkin, you know, I just kind of measured the square footage in Fusion and figured out how much tile I needed for different uh, elements. You know, we do a hex tile on the floor, or kind of the vertical wall tile on the walls and um, calculating that out worked out super well. Um, so it was just some uh, long shop days where I was, uh, made a really cool banister for when you're kind of walking up the stairs. Uh, so that was kind of a fun aesthetic project. Um, and then I also, I've not really a lot of, uh, I do have a lot of woodworking experience, but not so much cabinet building experience. So this was like the first cabinet I've built. Um, and I decided to, because I hate measuring <laughs> Uh, plywood by hand and cutting parts down on the table saw, especially, you know, managing big sheets of three-quarter ply in the shop by yourself is, for most people, not ideal. So, of course, if I can throw it on the machine and have it cut the parts out for me and just assemble it, uh, that works a lot better, especially because I could bring in, you know, for example, the drawings of the sink shape and have that cut out on the machine and just integrate all of that ahead of time. Um it's definitely something appeals to my workflow a lot. And, you know, I just uh, had some help along the way. Uh, my partner, Garen, did all the uh, construction stuff. So he 
did the uh, frame build out and the tile installation and all of that. But um, we're a good team. And, you know, I called uh, Izzy Swan for a little pro tips on the cabinet building and um, came out pretty well. I'm really proud of it. Um, and uh, I right now it's a Airbnb space so that uh, my folks have a place to stay when they come. But I kind of want to live over there because it's a really nice rain shower bathroom with like modern aesthetics and yeah, there was a couple of things I had to last minute machine and uh, it wouldn't fit on my two by two machine because I just think in much larger scales, but I was able to tile the part. So I um, had the material kind of hang over the bed and then rotated it uh, and had alignment pins so that the part could be cut out on both halves of the material. Yeah, it worked out. Um, and um, we're pretty proud of it. So it was, it was fun, certainly. And I'm glad it's done. How long was the entire, like, how long did it take to complete the project from idea to completion? Yeah, that's a good question. I guess, well, I can't remember what law it was exactly, but, you know, oftentimes the work compresses to the timeline you give it. And uh, we started the project in March um, and everything we just kept adding more and more work on, you know, when you start work adding in things like real hardwood floor where you have to install the flooring, sand it, finish. Oh, and then you're going to redo all the trim and all this. You decide to do those things. Slowly chiseling at it isn't really helpful. And uh, we had a reservation for a month of August, the whole month, which we hadn't had a reservation for a while. So this was definitely helping us uh, make ends meet. And so we had to get it done. So we had about three weeks to kind of finish up everything. Um, so it really, we had since March, but did we actually do all the work in a timely manner? Not really, <laughs> but, uh, you know, the deadline just certainly helped and um, I'm ready to work on other things. So I, I'm pretty sure everybody's listening can uh, understand the future creep when we're designing something yeah. like it's just like never ending unless someone's like puts her foot down like hey this is due next week then you cram as many things as you can and then you get it done for that week otherwise you would it would be non-stop never-ending uh, iteration on iteration right yeah well, that's cool though like yeah I, I think it turned out really great um did you post these pictures on instagram i, I wasn't sure you know so. i think i posted them on a story but i haven't i have a lot of the uh i think some of the renderings on my instagram but i certainly would be happy to post uh some final photos. Oh, you know, I also have an Instagram for the remodel itself for the house. So it's um, the PDX Rosebud, I believe. So I'm, I'll give it to you so you can put yeah. it in the notes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, hopefully people can check it out and take a look at what we're talking about here because I think it looks great. So it was very cool to see Thanks. all that. <laughs> Appreciate it. Yeah, that definitely, like, I, I'm not really one for taking on big projects like a house remodel. But it kind of makes me want to get like a tiny home and just like design out every feature I want and just have ultimate creative freedom over it. So, yeah, it's definitely an inspiring build, you guys. Uh, you two did. Thank you. Yeah, I've always wanted to uh, design a tiny house, too. And it's definitely different doing new construction from remodeling, you know, so this was an old garage conversion. So the original framing was definitely not square. I swear the floor that we installed on was at least an inch out of level over 12 feet. 
So it's super not ideal. We know, you know, you're playing marbles in your bedroom. It's not going to work out super well, but <laughs> it worked out okay. I think my other kind of dream in terms of doing something like a tiny house, I, I think I would start with a teardrop trailer for my CNC so I could kind of, you know, <laughs> do a road trip or something and with the machine as if somebody hasn't already done that before. Um, but maybe I'll just, uh, you know, take some inspiration from you, Winston, and um, do that. But if you start smaller and then kind of work your way up, it becomes a lot less intimidating. So, you know, uh, start with a teardrop trailer and then do a whole tiny house. But definitely thinking through all of the design elements and reading about code and all sorts of things like that is uh, feels like a lot upfront. And I promise you things will pop up and you will have to, you know, go to the hardware store at least 25 times over the course <laughs> of it. And that's okay, you know. Um, yeah. What, was there anything in particular that you learned that you didn't think you had to learn for this project? Like something that kind of popped up and you had to figure it out or something difficult along those lines? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I think that doing the whole... Uh, hmm. You know, like kind of when you when you work on a project and then you you have this all laid out and planned, and then right in the middle of doing it, you're like, oh, I didn't I didn't even completely think about this aspect of it. I need to figure this out. I'm just curious, like, was there anything difficult that you had to learn, or something that just yeah. kind of caught you off guard? I think it's definitely things that I hadn't necessarily thought I would have to. Uh, kind of skills I have that I didn't know I would have to kind of call upon. And that would be kind of more of the project management skill set where I used to do a lot of project management and I have a lot of moving pieces. Well, I, mean, I guess I still do project management, but I mostly execute my own projects now. But when you're managing a team, you have to, you're kind of like a coach, you know, you're playing people to their strengths and um, making sure that everything is being timed out correctly. So when you're having uh, tile installed, or you have to have to consider the drying time of the thin set or the grout, or you have to time out the install of the flooring, sanding, and finish application. So make sure you apply your finish at night, uh, right before uh, end of the day, because obviously if you apply finish on a hardwood floor, you can't walk on it. Um, so I think the project management aspect of it, you know, okay, we have to do drywall and paint. And um, there's a lot of things with learning how to do tile and learning how to do um, creating a waterproof curb and a shower pan has to be custom made. We didn't use a prefab one. Um, so there was definitely some, there's so many skill sets you need to have to do this. Uh, it's not that anyone, you know, anyone can do it. It just takes patience. So just be patient with uh, learning about how to do all these different things because um, you know, when you're doing a remodel, you need a lot of different skill sets. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I don't know if I'd ever do anything like that, but if I ever did, um, it, it would definitely be one of those things where like, oh, let's just start small. And then I, I already know, I mm -hmm. see myself blowing everything out of proportion and making it such a huge like project thing. But right. um, I think if I just follow your advice and just do one small thing at a time, it won't be so, uh, so intense. Yeah. Or just like you can do your own design ahead of time and kind of give the right direction and then call upon, you know, the folks that, you know, have been laying tile forever or have been doing drywall forever, 
you know, those folks are going to do it. And I swear, 10% the time it takes you to do it. <laughs> so it's okay. But as long as you can, if you think through all of your whole project yourself, you can save money picking out your own tile or um, deciding what that looks like and how much it's going to be. If you take the time to do that and just have somebody come, uh, you can give them some direction. Um, I think that might be another way to go for uh, some folks. Did you, uh, Winston, did you ever have or have a thought about making something or doing something similar to that? I don't know, for your uh, room or something? or So for my room, uh, storage is still kind of a, an issue just because when I first moved in, um, I bought some really cheap furniture and I'm staring at my desk right now and just it's kind of a mess. Like I've got a dock that's hidden away in a drawer uh, with like five external hard drives and everything's just it's a mess. It, my room honestly needs a lot of work. And so I've wanted to do things like add shelving, like uh, um, just uh, like free floating shelving on one of the walls. But honestly, like every time I watch people go through like home remodeling, I know um, Bob Claggett, I like to make stuff, did a whole series where he did like the the laundry room, the, the bathroom. I think he's looking at the kitchen. I look at these things and I'm just like, it. it's just too much for me to do. Um, especially if it's like taking over like a functional room. Um, whereas if I could do like a camper van conversion, um, I think I'd have a lot more fun with that because if I don't complete one aspect of it, it's not like I don't have a place to sleep or a place to cook. <laughs> um, so I don't know. For me, it's it's just with how minimalistically I live, it, there's not really a good way to uh, take on a more ambitious project like that. Are you looking to do something like that, like in your place right now? Um, the only room that I thought about making stuff after seeing Sammy's post was just for the office that I plan on recording in uh, to make it less. It looks kind of like a prison right now. <laughs> so <laughs> just to kind of make it less uh, drabby, so to speak. Right. Um, so now I'm I, the wheel. Am I, they're turning a little bit. And I'm, I already have the room mapped out in Fusion. So I've been slowly putting things in like my desk and everything so I can get a visual I, idea of what what space I have to work with and and, and that. But that's about it. I don't want to get too crazy um, with the bedroom or anything else like that because then I have to get approval from the better half. So. I think with the office, it's easier because I can control what I put in and what I make. So, Are you going to do the John Saunders thing and 3D print different parts of a miniature room? Yeah, actually, I did that for work, too. Like, uh, we're we're buying a bunch of machines and, and moving the CNCs toward the front of the facility. So, like, I've been 3D printing our machines in the 132 scale, and they've been, like, moving around at work, and that was kind of cool. Um, but I love it. Like I, I'm a total visual tactile person. So if you tell me to try to imagine things in my head, it takes me like 10 seconds before everything catches up. But if I see it in my hand or holding it, I get a much faster uh, idea of like what things are going to look like or how they're going to be. So I love the whole idea of being able to 3D print something, move it onto a space that you draw, you know, according to whatever the square footage is and stuff and kind of planning it out that way. I, I like it more than doing it digitally. Because even digitally, like in AutoCAD or something, it just doesn't, I'm not good at seeing things that way. I'm better at seeing things in 3D or, or holding it in my hand. So, yeah, I love that that whole process. My old job, I tried to do everything in AutoCAD when we were moving. And it's still like when it yeah, got I remember down, you were like trying to draw out like the whole floor plan and like where the, the doors were, the outlets and like mm -hmm. the width between the machines. For the transformer, like I did everything. 
And even though I did everything in CAD, when it came down to moving day, things were either closer or farther than it seemed from the paper, which makes sense, right? Because we don't have like a really good visual scale. Even though I say three feet is enough, it may not be enough when a person's standing there and they have to like work in between the machines. So there was still a lot of like, uh, hey, let's move this out or, or close this in or something like that. So yeah, it, it was when we when I 3D printed the stuff for this new place, it, it was a lot easier because we, we moved in the other machine already. So you know, we, we use that for the 3D printing and that was cool. There, there's a lot of things you don't consider when you're like looking at a blueprint. Um, like we got a machine at the shop recently and there, there was a forklift coming through. And I, the, the, like right before lunch when it was like supposed to arrive, I, I looked at the shop floor and I was like, oh, there are pallets of like things like just left there. We need to move all of that. Cause like there's just one main like alley down the row of machines at the uh, shop so um even just like taking into account like where people's like desks are where the rolling carts are it uh it definitely helps yeah like how much room do you give a chair to roll away from the desk before it hits something like have, i've never had to think about that before but when you're <laughs> when you're trying to fit everything into space like everything like that matters right because in then the walkway and you know etc cetera, etc cetera. so yeah, it, I definitely like the physical stuff. Um, I don't like doing just the 2D print stuff. It just doesn't give you the correct scale of things or how things, I guess, feel. Like, you know, it's not it's not the same. So, yeah, doing it the second time around with the 3D stuff was much cooler, I thought, and much easier. Um, and plus, I hate AutoCAD, so anytime I have to do anything <laughs> in there, I'm going to rip my eyes out. So Yeah, I at the... Um office room where we uh we hide away all the support people um they were rearranging desks because we were bringing in uh one more person and uh they had this like um like on a whiteboard they were just drawing out like the dimensions of the room and the dimensions of the desks but they couldn't really um like reorient things easily and see things to scale and and get a good feel for how much room is going to be behind a desk and is going to be left clear for the doorway. And so I was like, all right, I'll maybe I'll just I'll model up the floor plan in Fusion real quick. And it worked. But trying to drag around like uh, extruded boxes to <laughs> to demonstrate where desks would go, it's just not the same thing. Like you, you need something tactile to move around. Um, and it's it's a lot easier to like mark out like, oh, hey, like avoid this like radius because there's an outlet there or something. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's definitely. I, I'm I'm. I don't know anything about architecture, but I'm sure they they do things similar in that field if they have to convey something to a customer. So, I don't I don't think uh, we're the only ones that are tapping into this. It's it's got to be helpful for everybody, right? Instead of trying to explain something through 2D form. Yeah, I kind of wish there was still that old like plugin so that you could step into virtual reality from like a fusion project or something. But I'm pretty sure that's no longer around yeah actually as a side tangent one of the things that i've been doing uh, in my off time for fun is i bought a uh, vr headset from valve index and i've been playing half-life alex you got the index i got the index i ordered it in february top of the line and i got it like a month and a half ago so i waited forever and i was a little skeptical at first because i've seen some of the other games in vr and 
the graphics are kind of whatever, but Half-Life Alex is amazing to the point where I'm like, I'm terrified in that game because it's like a horror first person shooter type game. But one of the things that it made me realize is, wow, like we, we have this technology that is so good that I feel so immersed that I'm my heart's beating sometimes. Like when I'm shooting these monsters and I'm running around, yeah, you know, I've, I've ran into the wall a few times, like, because I'm so like, <laughs> even though like there's a grid that tells you when you're close in the heat of the moment, I'm just sitting there trying to shoot and reload. And the reloading is, is like real. Like I hit the clip, I pull the clip out, I'm pulling a clip from my backpack and I'm loading it and I got to cock the chamber again. Right. So I'm doing these actions with the virtuality thing. So anyways, to bring this back is like me doing all that and me seeing the potential of that made me excited for the future because if they can adapt this technology into learning for education and for CNC, can you imagine like being able to teach somebody how to CNC through virtual reality, like where I can walk them through something as a digital person and there's like a Haas machine there or something and like I can tell them these are the buttons you press and we can load a CAD file and then virtually the CAD file reads the G code into a solid and you can see the thing being machine. Like I'm just imagining all the possibilities of the VR as a distance learning thing and with COVID and everything, like it seems like that's the direction that we're headed in, right? Like a digital learning environment. So. I mean, just it looks so cool when it's done right, you know, and that's the, the key point when it's done right, because it can be done bad, which I've seen and it mm -hmm. sucks. But when it's done really well, it is amazing. And I'm I'm so stoked to see what's going to happen and what genius person is going to come up with, you know, in using that and in integrating that into, you know, even if it's just like CAD, can you imagine drawing uh, like a, something in Fusion, but with your hands where you just. You tap the square and you, you can put in the numbers and you can pull the square up. It's, it's kind of like um, when you go into like the surfacing and, and stuff, you know, how you're just dragging a shape by points, but you're doing this with your hands instead. Like I can imagine that day, maybe five or 10 years out from now, that's something that people will start doing. And that, that's very cool. Once this stuff gets a little bit cheaper, more affordable and think everyone's got access to it, I think it'll be really great. <laughs> I love this conversation about VR and CNC and education. Um, definitely education in CNC is really important to me. So it's kind of awesome to hear. Um, I have a lot of friends who are VR developers and they do a lot of kind of what I would call interactive advertising. And, you know, they work for companies like um, Adidas or Nike or uh, there's a company called Instrument and they will um, make specialized projects for companies, usually for conferences or um airport in interactions, you know, sometimes VR and sometimes AR. Uh, but I do think that's going to be a really powerful tool used in the, you know, near future. Yeah, it, it, it's very, very good, especially when done done well. It, it it looks amazing. And I can, like I said, if, if some developer or software company ends up taking it to the next level, I can totally see this as an education tool that I think kids would be really interested in anyways. I mean, most kids these days grow up with, you know, being comfortable with the touchscreen, right? Like an iPhone or iPad or, or something of that nature, whether that's in school or at home. And like just being able to pivot off of that and to give them something they're more comfortable with than opposed to like, okay, I know you grew up with a tablet and a TV and an iPhone, but here's a book. And it's just kind of like, I can only imagine the kid like, oh, like, why do I have to do it? And so if, if they were to just continue that stream of technology and like, okay, 
we're going to give you this augmented VR set and like you get to digitally enter this world and we're going to teach you about history or CNCs or whatever. Like how cool would that be? You know, and I'm, I can only imagine as a kid, I would much be, I would, I would be more excited to learn just for the fact that there's something that I can tactically and, and visually walk around and see what's going on. But it is so cool. Like I, I was blown away I had low expectations for it, and it was just—it's so amazing. Uh, and I, I hope that uh, one day all three of us will be sitting here in our VR sets, you know, catting or fusioning. And that would be so cool to make something with your hands and, and you know, visually, <laughs> all three of us can see it being built at the same time. Like that would be even crazier. I have several thoughts um, because my previous job was actually um, exploring the use of VR and uh, augmented reality. Uh, for use in training systems for the Navy. And there were there's a lot of challenges there, um, which I think um, we're finally at the point where we're starting to overcome some of these hurdles. Like resolution of the headset uh, used to be a thing. Like it, it would be really hard to read text, and that's improved a lot. The field of view, also a big thing. Um, it was It used to be too narrow. So when you're working in front of a fake control panel, you really don't see everything going on around you. Um, and then also just the the um, the interaction schemes and um, like design paradigms that you would use to recreate things. Um, you just it was hard to get the one to one realism that you were used to. Uh, like your your interactions were really basic. When you touch two things together, they would just go through each other. And I think Valve's done a really great job of mm -hmm. sort of just. Um, coding in like all the subtle interactions you wouldn't think about like you you see something on a table you and you want to reach over to it you can actually pick it up as opposed to it just being like hard-coded scenery that a lot of the uh, sort of like the first gen VR titles were so we I guess we are at the point where we are almost ready to use VR more seriously um, but then on the the flip side of things I think thinking about VR as a training tool uh, can be a really good thing for um, like developing better uh, curricula. And uh, one of the things that I had wanted to do was to just stick a GoPro on my head and just go through like a CNC project um, inspired by uh, J. Kenji Lopez-Alt, uh, where he does a, a cooking series with like a GoPro on his head and he talks through everything. And when you... Um, go through the thought process of showing something in real time right in front of you, um, you start to, to notice little nuances, like maybe you took a shortcut when you were setting up your part. Um, you can actually catch that and explain that. Um, whereas when you're trying to like just write an instruction manual or something, you might just gloss over the little steps. But um, in real time, especially during a live stream too, when people are watching and you catch yourself doing something that's maybe a little off the, the beaten path, you can explain that and teach people those little things that would otherwise just be lost in the uh, rather clunky, quote-unquote, old ways of, of teaching. So I think it's um, – I, I don't know if any companies are ready to use uh, virtual reality as a teaching media, um, but I think – Thinking about it um, in a way where you want to immerse someone in all the, the little nuances of working with a CNC or a printer or a laser, uh, there's a lot of value in thinking through that because um, without um, thinking about the whole learning process, you're going to miss out on a lot of little really useful tidbits. So I think it's a 
cool thing to keep an eye on eye out on and uh, chris i definitely need to come over and try out the index oh dude it's so much yeah absolutely come come check it out um i was gonna say like remember we were talking about uh dmg machines having like poor support in the u.s can you imagine if now they had some kind of like they could ship you this vr headset and the customer who bought the machine puts it on and the text on the other line with like an earbud inside the vr set walking him through this is what you need to do turn this thing we're going to replace this thing out here and he's he's vring it while he's doing it so that he can go do it himself like i think the possibility is endless for all applications right if if we want to go to the deep end it would be you know on some aspect like there, if you heard of the da vinci machine it's like basically a robot surgeon uh or is it's like they I've they probably control seen it. Yeah, you've seen it. It's like this crazy looking machine where a surgeon could be in one part of the world and the machine's in another, and it can do complex surgeries because uh, the, the surgeon's just basically controlling this robot. So I think that tied in with like the VR aspect of it, where we have the technology now where we can communicate long distances in real time with little latency loss. And then having the, the visual aspect of it put together is like just crazy like all the things that we see in sci-fi movies are at our fingertips like they're not so far away anymore and i think not only education but any commercial this type like the dmg example that i gave like it's it's just so cool like there's so many things that can be done and i hope we really tap into that i hope we're not so resistant to change uh doing things the way we used to do it where you know, this puts on the back burner of the forefront of technology, but I hope there's a pioneer that will kind of push this through. I think there are certainly, you know, folks will probably be open to uh, being forward moving in this, you know, as long as we can make this technology accessible. I think that's probably an issue when it comes to things like this is making the hardware accessible, you know, um, and being able to integrate it into lots of different uh, communities and spaces. Yeah, I think like the cheapest Oculus set is like 300 bucks or something. And if you think about like the way technology evolves, like when something first comes out, it's always the most expensive, which makes sense. And then as time moves forward, competition, they basically keep each other at arm's length of pricing. And then there's like a war. And then as things get cheaper for us to manufacture, I'm assuming like in the next couple of years, there's going to be like a hundred dollar headset that everyone can can use. And once I think it gets down to the $100, I mean, a textbook at some colleges can cost over $150, right? Mm -hmm. And this one headset can be used for all types of, you know, it's not just for that one class and then you throw it away at the end of the semester or, or try to sell it back for a fraction of the cost. So I think being able to afford, if we can afford expensive books and then if we can get this thing to become that price, then I think it becomes accessible by my definition. A couple things about that that I expect to be true, like the prices will come down, but I think the index is just, they set the bar so high uh, with like the individual finger tracking. Mm -hmm. um, it's just, there are certain things that other companies are just going to have to take shortcuts on. Um, and I know there were interactions in Half-Life Alex that the Valve developers were like, we can make this specifically for the index. We can um, just add so much more nuance to how you interact with things, but they had to dumb it down for um, experiences where you wouldn't have that super high-end headset. So uh, we'll see how how this technology gets democratized and if the um, that 
price point gets moved down significantly. Um, but for now, I'm probably just going to keep lusting over <laughs> that high-end headset. I thought about buying a like an Oculus um, to when the the pandemic hit, but I just I couldn't get myself to pull the trigger on something that was second tier. Yeah, and that's kind of the reason why I went with the Valve. Because, you know, I grew up when Half-Life 1 came out and they kind of revolutionized PC gaming as well. And it seems like every time they release something, they're pushing the boundaries of what's possible in gaming technology. So I think they did it again and they executed just amazingly, man. Like, I'm just, I'm so floored by the, the, the visual supremacy that I'm seeing. You know, I think it's like 2K resolution per eye with like 130 field of view and within seconds I'm completely lost in what's in front of me and I'm not like worried about what's around me as you can see because I've hit I've literally run into my desk and my wall <laughs> like so many times and then one time my, I was so ingrained in this moment and my fiance snuck in and she kind of like pinched my ass and I, I was terrified I jumped down like what like wouldn't this become 4d like and then I, I, I was like yelling at her she was laughing like but that's how immersed I was and at that moment I was like damn this is crazy like I'm, I'm alive for this amazing thing that's gonna like revolutionize I think how we see things or how we communicate like it's kind of like the internet like how we connect right at first it started with like AIM which is just text-based and that was amazing for everybody to be able to talk to people across the world now it's like several notches up, which is I can visually communicate and, you know, and talk to people around the world and then do things like that. So, yeah, it's just very cool. And I, I'm kind of a nerd when it comes to this kind of tech. So I, I love seeing it develop and, and everything and just everything's just so cool right now. It's a good time to be alive for, for many reasons. Uh, what have you been working on? What, what have you been doing? Uh, I have been doing <laughs> a lot of things. Uh, so honestly, um, I... I asked about you before, uh, just because I was thinking about burnout um, mm -hmm. for all parties involved. But personally, I have not been doing the best in terms of everything I'm trying to juggle. Um, I kind of took on more work than I expected for, in terms of like um, sponsorships and uh, collaborations. And then the the whole Nomad R&D started dragging on a little longer than I expected. Um, I expected to have sent out final production drawings like two weeks ago, and we just kept making small little improvements and changes here and there, and so just I never got around to it. Um, but we're we're on the home stretch for that. Um, but then, just all the work that I have piling up, on top of that, this week I have to be on call for potential jury duty. Um, oh, so no. just my whole schedule has been thrown out of whack. And so I've been like just panicking, like I've got to deliver mm -hmm. a video for a sponsor by next weekend. Um, I told a PC builder in the Bay Area that I could ship some pieces to him around mid-August. So that's coming up real soon. Um, the, the students who I collaborated with on the Ultimate Pocket NC enclosure, um, they're ready to launch their site and uh, their, their Instagram um, about this uh, enclosure as a product and perhaps scale it to other machines. And they're basically waiting on me. Um, so I just, I feel a lot of pressure about things I have to deliver like ASAP. And mm -hmm. uh, it's kind of just been weighing on me a lot. But um, today and yesterday, I sort of just, I stopped moping for a second. I just went into the garage and I told my, asked myself, like, what do I need to work on right now? And that was the, um, the SpaceX Dragon capsules. I had little gift boxes designed for them. And so I needed to finish them up um, and make a video about them because that's what I'm going to attach my uh, 
sponsor bit to. Uh, so that has to be ready uh, this week. And then after that, I think I'm going to prioritize the um, pocket NC enclosure, which is just about done. Like they did all the hard work. I just need to customize it, get it working, uh, do some cuts on the pocket NC to show it works, um, and then get to making those PC parts. Uh, so I, I'm I'm getting back on track. I just had like a, a mild panic attack um, early or late last week. Um, other than that, though, things are great. <laughs> like I feel you, man. Like one of the things I had to learn to say was no, and I hate saying it. But I, sometimes I have to be like, hey, there, there's just no way that I can fit this in with everything that's going on. But I think exactly how you tackled it, like if I sit in a room and I, I try to think about everything I need to accomplish, it would drive me insane. So instead, I think on the one thing that I can accomplish right now, and I don't think anything further than that. And I don't think about what I need to do. I just get myself to the spot so that I can begin that first task. And then it kind of carries me over to the next thing. And if I try to like think of it all at once, it's it's overwhelming. It's impossible. But if I just think of it like a micro step. So, for example, if I need to do something for the UMC for the wheel, I just think of like, OK, I just need to drive there and I need to load the stock and run the program and fix anything that's wrong with it. It's a very simple micro task. And once I'm there, once you're working, everything just starts to click and fall into place. Right. Your body will start moving. You start doing things and the motions will start coming back. So once I get into the groove that I'm like a world oil machine, but if I stop to think about what I need to do, it overwhelms me. So I don't, I just literally think the first thing I need to do to begin, which is get myself there and turn the machine on. And then once that happens, it's just like muscle memory or whatever comes into play and everything okay. just kind of flows from that. And as long as I have, uh, I don't think of everything, but I do write it down. So I have uh, like a list of things. So if I have a project, I'll write down the project name and then the steps I need to complete the project. So like buy stock, procure end mills, blah, 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 program, blah, 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 test, prototype, run, final program. And then I'll basically check off these little things as I'm going. And that keeps my brain moving. Like, okay, mm -hmm. this thing's done. And these micro successful, or I call them like micro goals that I hit, it like after you do one and you do the next one and you do the next one, it's like this, uh, you get like a boost, like a Mario Kart speed boost. Like, you know, you start to, you start to feel like the adrenaline and, and the joy from completion. And like, it just kind of like throws you into this momentum. And I feel like once I get into my stride, I'm like knocking out pages of these things of multiple in, in once, but none of that happens. If you do not start with the very first thing, which is get yourself to the spot you need to be in. So for you, it'd be like your garage, right? Or your, your table where you need to edit a video and then start with there and just that. Don't even think further than that. Cause the second you do, it becomes like, like you said, panic inducing, like, like attack. So don't, yeah. don't go that far. Just very first step. Once you're there, then everything else will take over your experience and everything will come into play and your muscle memory of how to do things will just kick in the gear. And, um, it just kind of flows out of you. Like that's, that's the only way that I've survived this long is I don't <laughs> think past the first step. Because like, I function in the same way, you know, but I initially have to start and make a plan because I just have so many things going on in my mind at once. So many projects I'm trying to make work, whether it's steps within a project or many projects overlapping. And I'm very visual, so I like to write out a schedule and kind of see it uh, laid out. And then also working out priorities and kind of figuring out what different elements 
play into what comes first in your list, if you're making a list or a series of lists. And once you've set aside 30 minutes to kind of address all of those, you know, big picture issues, then when you're, you're in your space, you're looking at the list. The only thing that matters is the thing at the top of the list. Nothing else matters, you know, because if you're trying to hold all of that in your mind, all of these different timelines in your brain at the same time, which I constantly do, and I'm not just saying that this works for everyone, but um, it's nice to have it visually written down because then you don't have to try to feel like you're remembering all of those steps all at the same time while you're working on something and your brain has already jumped to the second, third, fourth thing. I'm definitely a checklist person as well. So I've got a list that I'm looking at right now. <laughs> my My biggest problem is that I, I'm trying to not get pulled 100% into like shop stuff because there are like little things that you have to do around the house, chores. Um, like for me, I like to go running at least a couple times a week. And for me, uh, this week was just too many things started converging that I had decision paralysis that I just I didn't know what to attack first. Um, but eventually, like once I got in the shop and I just started working on something like all my worries disappeared. So taking that first step is is the the most important thing. No, oh, yeah, absolutely. And you know, there's there's no right it's whatever works for you is what's gonna work for you. You just kinda have to figure out how to kind of manage everything. But obviously it it is make it kind of nice when you do have a deadline because then that makes your priority shift, right? It makes it easy for you. You don't need to make this choice. So like you having that mid-August project so it's not at the top of the list yet, but in about a week or two, it's going to start moving up the list, right? So that's, to me, the the simplest way to do it is when the choice is taken away from you and the deadline is set, mm-hmm. then that that becomes priority regardless of what you want. So that makes it easy for you because you don't need to decide for yourself. And then as these things shift around, it's just kind of like a, like, a, like a board, right? And you have a bunch of these things and they're just kind of moving up and down on each other depending on what is actually priority or what we call in the industry like hot, a hot job, so to speak, right? Like what is the actual hot job that's going to, if it doesn't get out today, the customer's going to be pissed, that kind of thing. Well, I, I know what that is for me, so <laughs> I'm probably okay for now. Um, yeah. It's like that's, it's a balancing act. It's like a bunch of spinning plates, right? Yeah. You, you gotta, I, I just have to I gotta get through it what I have now. And then at some point in the future I do have to learn how to say no and mm-hmm. uh, turn some of these things away. Yes. It sucks. I, I feel you, man. Like I wanna say yes to everything and I I try to actually because anything that interests me or that I think will make me grow as a machinist or a programmer, I always wanna do. But at the same time, I have a responsibility to the people that I've already made a commitment to, and I need to make sure that I uphold that. Otherwise, none of the other stuff's going to matter, right? If nobody trusts or believes in me anymore, so I need to focus on what I can, get that job done, and and then when I can move on, then I can start the next thing and stuff. So yeah, that was hard for me. It took me a while to get used to, and the first time I said no, I felt so bad. But I shouldn't feel bad because it's like I can only do so much, right? A human can only physically do so much in a day or in a week. So, yeah. Um, and like, yeah. no has to be a realistic choice. Otherwise, if you asked someone something and they said no and you got deeply offended, that would actually be a thing. But uh, people, it is a normal thing. Like, there's a 50% chance that they'll turn something down. Um, for me, the other thing though is like when I'm scheduling all these things, like, 
I think ahead and I'm like, oh yeah, I've got plenty of time. And it's just, it's poor judgment on my part. Like I don't anticipate ways in which my schedule will just implode on itself. <laughs> yeah. So I gotta, I gotta leave a little bit of margin in there. Yeah. And that's experience, you know, like you, you you're going to get that. Like the more I learned a lot of this at work, you know, like they give you a deadline for a job and then obviously everything explodes or something happens and then it backfires you two weeks. And now you have these two other jobs. So I think learning to balance the things at work helped me a lot with micromanaging my time in my personal life because I was able to kind of understand like what is really priority and what is not and what can I tackle here now and kind of learning from my supervisor because he he's kind of like he's kind of like Phil Jackson in a sense where he's like the Zen master where he doesn't he doesn't ever stress about anything even if machines are exploding and things are breaking he just always has like a calm collective head about it he's like hey I've seen this before it's not a problem we, we pivot to this thing put this job on there move this on and it made me realize like you know you, you don't have to stress about stuff like if you can, we can control a certain aspect of it. So just focus on what you can do, not what is out of your control. Right. So I think watching him kind of manage everyone and seeing myself kind of the, tackle these like time management things for the job. It, it's been a great learning. Experience. That's, that's what I'm getting the most out of at my current job is learning to be a better kind of like uh, efficient person when you're given many, many things to kind of juggle around. So, uh, yeah, it's just been interesting to see how different people deal with things like that. Yeah, there's um, you can you can worry about something until it literally makes you sick, or you can kind of just accept it and figure out what's the next thing you can change. There's a project a couple of weeks ago where I was um, it was the uh, vacuum formed face mask thing uh, experiment that I was doing. I think this was back in like March when COVID was just uh, becoming a hot topic. And I, I really wanted to make this concept work, but I just I screwed up a couple too many things, and I I sort of just like on the last failure, I kind of looked at the machine. I was like, I could keep throwing myself at this problem and and be miserable about it, or I can just accept that it's not going to work, and I can try and make content with what I have in front of me, which is uh, honestly just a lot of lessons. And so I decided to just pivot to that. Like this is about. Um, what I learned out of it, how much I still have left to learn. Um, and that uh, took a lot of stress off my shoulders because um, if you have a very rigid vision of what you want to accomplish um, and no contingencies, then um, if something goes wrong, you've set yourself up for failure. And uh, learning to just let go a little bit and pivot to something I could control um, was extremely helpful for me just on a, a mental health level yeah i would say you know what do they say is um when you worry you suffer twice so you know there's either you have a solution for the problem or you don't either way it's kind of like there's not really an option you know you just kind of follow through or do what you can um i also say it like a, a thing like this is you learn when to ask for help and to when to lean on other people because there is a support system around you, whether in your work or, you know, um, you know, someone who kind of help walk you through whatever concept or project you're working on um, if you're kind of stuck at something. Um, and it's funny how, uh, you know, a few months back uh, before the shutdown, we all had 
so many, I had at least a lot of conferences and work trips planned and um, going up to Avid uh, CNC's headquarters to film and to do all these projects um, and how that has all gone away. But somehow we've just still managed to fill all of this time with so many projects and so many collaborations. And there's still a lot of exciting things happening out there. I think it's just, um, it's funny to see how everything was just not exactly how we imagined, but how we still managed to fill this time, even in a kind of quarantine space. Yeah, that's true. There's always something to do. And how are people bored? That's what I want to know. <laughs> if they're bored, they certainly can come help me make things because I have lots of things I need to make. So, yeah, Do you I, have anything? Uh, uh, sorry, go on, Chris. No, I just like, I'm sure all three of us have like this list of things that we want to make. And it's just like ever growing, never ending type thing. And I wonder if there will ever be a day where I actually get to everything on that list. But that would be so sad, you know, if you didn't have any more things to make. That's true. That's true. So out of curiosity, like um, sort of tangentially on that topic, like what is your end goal of whatever side hustle, like rapid prototyping struggle you're on? Because like, Chris, you've been burning the candle at both ends. At what point will you feel that you're successful, that you've achieved what you want? Like, when are you going to ease off the throttle? What's that going to look like for you? <laughs> I, I thought about this a lot, actually, the last couple months. Um, I don't know. I, I think right now I'm just really hungry for something. And it's driving me to keep moving forward career-wise and also uh, the the side hustle thing. And I just, I don't know what it is I want yet, but I know I want to get there fast. I don't know if that makes sense. Like, I'm not exactly sure where I'm going to end up, but I know that in the meantime, I need to learn as fast as I can from people who are better than me, and I need to work as fast as I can on the machine that I have to get better at it so that one day in the future, when an opportunity comes, I am fully prepared to make that jump. I don't want to have that opportunity arrive and me not be ready for it. So I have, like, this weird, like, train moving behind me and I'm trying to run in front of it the whole time, even though I don't really know what this train is. I just know that I I can't take it slow because I've spent a decade of my life in a different career and I'm so I feel so behind already. And that's what keeps me moving because like I feel like if I would have started this when I was 18, I'd I feel more like okay about it. But since I'm not um, there, I I gave up a lot to come here. So for me it's I gotta keep going. I gotta I gotta move fast. I need to I should have been here already like many years ago, you know? So I think for me, that's kind of where my headspace is at. Um, I honestly have no idea where it is that I want to end up yet. I have some inklings here and there, but I'm not certain. I think there's still a lot for me to experience. And there's a lot of ways for me to be a part of manufacturing. That doesn't necessarily mean I need to be a programmer or a machinist, right? I think uh, Dan from Datron is a perfect example, like an apps engineer for a company like that's interesting as well, like visiting people who are interested in buying the machine and being an apps guy, and helping them solve a problem, seeing different shops, meeting different people, seeing different things made. That that also piques my interest and that also allows me to be a part of the industry but not have to be like an actual programmer machinist. And that allows my brain to save some of that 
uh, programming juice for my own stuff, right? So I've been thinking of ways that I can branch out where I can still be a part of something but not have to be directly in this thing that I want to do on my spare time. So um, I don't know, like I said, I don't know where I want to end up. I, I think you and I have talked about before, like where I think I want to secretly be, but even then, I don't know how much of a realistic thing that is. So I'm they just going. The tea. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I actually don't want to say it because then like if I would feel terrible if I didn't make that goal. So I, it's better for me to hold it back until I actually get to it. Or, you know, that way, if I don't, I can just move away from it. I don't have to worry about it. But fair enough. Yeah. And dreams can change. Yeah. yeah. And they have, you know, so I think four months ago I had a clear idea of what I wanted. And now it's a lot more muddy. And um, I don't think there's a wrong answer. I think there's just the answer that's going to be right for me at that time that I decide. So, um, but I think what pushes me is what I said, that I feel like I'm behind. I got in this game late. I'm not that young anymore. I need to, I need to learn and, and grow as fast as possible to make up for the 10 years that I didn't have in this field so that I can be on equal level with the people that I'm dealing with at work on a daily basis. And that's what drives me to to learning and push forward. And I don't think I'll be okay, like to say like, okay, I did it until, I don't know. Like, I don't know what that is gonna look like, to be honest, and I don't see it coming anytime soon. So it's gonna be a while before I feel like it's okay for me to take a breath and maybe just work one job. So we'll see. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, in this phase of your life, like everything new, everything that teaches you something is new and exciting. and. I totally get just racing after all of it. Um, but yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see where we all are in, in a couple of years. Also, you mean uh, Dan from Kern now because he made <laughs> that right. awesome step up. Yeah, <laughs> shout out to Dan, man. That's such a congratulations, man. That's awesome. Super cool. Now he needs to hook, up, hook us up with some uh, Kern swag. Yes, Kern swag and Kern, you know, shop visit or something. Yeah. What about you, Sammy? Where, like, where do you want to be in a couple of years? That's a good question. I've thought about that uh, quite a bit recently, just on based on the kind of the shifting that's happening in higher education and kind of the value there. Uh, I studied sculpture with a focus in digital fabrication, and that's really kind of where my passion um, has been. And kind of uh, when I think back to that, one of my kind of 15-year dream from that point was to become a sculpture professor. And I have to make a shout out to my digital fabrication sculpture professor, Andrew Fitzgerald Scott. And he's now the uh, head of the art and technology program at UT Dallas, an absolute legend. And he is the whole reason I even learned anything about CNC and uh, digital fabrication. And I owe my <laughs> a big part of my career direction to him. Um, but kind of looking at the landscape of what that art and technology and higher education looks like and what it is now to be a professor, there's like adjunct professors, the job just isn't as appealing anymore. Uh, art schools are closing down left and right here in uh, Portland, uh, or OCAC, Oregon College Arts and Craft closed. And um, I'm kind of just interested to see uh, what kind of education in art and technology looks like in 10, 15 years from now. And I want to kind of help shape that. You know, that's something why I'm so passionate about my job, because I get to do all of this uh, kind of creative direction and 
uh, writing online CNC classes and seeing, okay, does it mean involving VR or is it um, having CNC camps for kids or is it um, collaborating with kids robotics teams, you know? Um, there's a school called Penland, which is a, a craft school, which folks sign up for workshops for a week to a month, um, and they have different kind of focuses, whether it's in um, glass blowing or ceramics and that sort of thing. And I, I'm kind of drawn to that format, um, you know, kind of like when you went to go take the class at uh, uh, NYCNC, um, and uh you know, kind of looking at what that looks like. So education and making has been kind of the passion, the intersection of what I want to do. And I'm very fortunate to get to do that every day. And that's, um, I'm super content where I am. And I'm really excited to kind of see kind of how I can shape that. Um, I've also been really passionate on how to create and make this kind of uh, maker world, maker space kind of more... Uh, welcoming to, you know, women and to people of color and to try to make sure that we can create a space that is uh, more accepting and kind of can reflect that diversity and making those resources more acceptable. So uh, we're very fortunate here at Avid CNC to be able to uh, get to give back and to do collaborations. Um, and so that's something that's also been giving me some uh, life force to kind of feel like I can uh, help and to I would say I think you put this nicely um, when we were talking about it is just kind of even so slightly move the needle and um, so I'm really excited about some of those projects and I hope that that can continue to grow because so right now we're just starting with some small projects and just trying to work on things that we can help um, individuals with but I really want to work on bringing this you know, CNC tech into some uh, organizations such as Oregon Tradeswomen. Um, there's another uh, welding school in Indiana that focuses on help um, teaching Latina women. Um, so kind of really trying to help them gain access to these tooling and uh, technology so that they can learn it and join that workforce or uh, and really gain a career in digital fabrication. Um, and integrating that at young ages like STEAM and STEM uh, programs for kids. So I really can see my kind of trajectory going in that way. Um, and I don't really know what that looks like, but I'm just starting a bunch of small little projects where it feels accessible now, and, and hopefully that will continue to grow. Um, so I'm really, yeah, I'm excited about that. That would be a, uh, a worthwhile legacy for sure. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, that, that's uh, way cooler than what we're, what I'm trying to do, at least. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I will. I'm certainly going to call upon you two to to help uh, help out. I'm sure. So just you wait. <laughs> I'm 100 down for it. Like I've I've wanted to find some way to give back, but I just I'm not like thrust into that community the same way you are, Sammy. So uh, I guess just if anyone in the LA area like needs. Uh, like has an idea for just STEM education, digital mm -hmm. fabrication, let me know. I'd love to get involved yeah. somehow. There's, um, so one of these, a couple of these projects that we've kind of started with, I'm working with um, 
Shar from The Wooden Maven. She's a woodworking teacher at a makerspace in Atlanta. Um, and kind of looking at what the education landscape is like is difficult, you know, uh, for the makerspace, they're open less hours um, and that sort of thing. Not all families feel comfortable coming in. Uh, so how do we make making projects accessible? So she came up with this concept of the take and make kit. So they will put in uh, materials into a bag or something like that and plan out a project and create a video or do a Zoom uh, follow along session with different people so that they could make the projects together uh, remotely. So we're working on designing these take and make projects. And I think that this is something that I am really uh, feel like that's a skill set of mine is to be able to tap into. There's all these people, like you were saying, I want to help, but I don't necessarily know how to do that. Um, to kind of, I think there's so many people out there that are more than willing to, to give machining time or to go pick up some materials and to help make some kits and that sort of thing. Um, so I'm excited to try to reach out and tap into um, some of that maker community because I know that a lot of us uh, out there are more than happy to help. Um, and uh, it was, Alma had this um, awesome idea about, you know, those uh, little libraries you see around, sometimes they have books or it's a pantry with canned goods and that sort of thing. Um, to make these mini maker libraries. So uh, we could make uh, kits for these libraries they can put outside, uh, you know, you can send out a kit to a Girl Scout troop or a community garden or an individual, and they can kind of decide what their uh, library holds, uh, whether it's um, take and make kits, which would be really awesome. If we could just have these little maker libraries all over the country, you can send out the files and one shop in each city can make 10 kits and then there will be 10 little libraries in each city where you can go find a kit project or something like that. Um, so kind of trying to fuse those ideas together. So this is like a small place to start, but I can imagine this just snowballing into something that we can really make it accessible to. Once we start placing, if we can start collaborating with spaces and whether it's a makerspace or a robotics team or a um, Oregon Tradeswomen, we can put together calls with engineers or people who are working in the industry, like Chris, like you, if you wanted to, you know, jump on a call to somebody who's learning about that, um, for people to really get to connect um, and see and talk to people who are already doing those things that they're interested in, um, they can continue to feel inspired and ask those questions that they're nervous about and um, that sort of thing. So... Uh, there's lots of ways to to kind of contribute, and um, we'll have to keep this yeah. conversation going in a <laughs> an, a, a, a different thread. Uh, but there's 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 definitely a lot of potential. Oh yeah, I could go on forever. So thanks for letting me get on my soapbox. No problem. <laughs> well, uh, looks like we've got a a healthy length of podcast recorded. Uh, do you guys have anything uh, before we wrap up? Uh, no, just uh, thanks to Sammy for joining us tonight and filling in for Eddie. It was great to have you back. Thanks. I'm excited uh, for next time, and it was great to be here. Yeah. Uh, before we sign off, Eddie wanted to make sure we throw in a shout-out to the Autodesk Advanced Manufacturing Summit, which is happening late August virtually. Uh, looks like a lot of fun stuff with um, uh, cam, uh, additive, and injection molding. Um, so... If you're interested in those things, go check it out. We'll have a link in the show notes. And uh, I think uh, that's all I got. Cool.
Well, it's good talking to everybody. I'll talk to you guys soon. Yeah, great chatting. Yeah, have a good one.